I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In each episode, we start out by talking about our weekend review, move on to the main event, which is a main review or topic of discussion, and then finish up with film faves, our respective list of our favorite films around a particular topic. In this episode, the main event is Star Wars The Last Jedi, and film faves is in honor of the recent Golden Globe nomination announcements. We're choosing our favorite global, mom, uh, global winner movies. Golden Globe winners, yes. Focusing on particularly the ones that won Best Picture, Drama, or Comedy. So, but before we begin, Shanna, you've been a little bit under the weather. Yes, I have no idea what kind of sickness I have. It's not fun, and it's doing weird things to the voice, so I may sound like Fluttershy from My Little Pony tonight. Just bear with us. And how does Fluttershy sound, typically? You know, she's just, she's so sweet. She likes to be really considerate for other people, so she keeps it down real low. Well, you, you are always sweet and considerate, <laughs> but uh, yes, your voice is definitely affected, so we will do what we can. I appreciate you being a trooper through it. So, first, let's start with the weekend review. Shannon, you had a couple movies that you saw that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, so I watched the documentary on HBO streaming about Nora Ephron. It's called Everything is Copy, which means anything that was happening, I guess, in her life or anyone around her's life was an opportunity to write about it and essentially make something of it. And it was a very interesting documentary. It really looked at her life and what influences were part of her life and how those influences became something in the media, whether it was a film or a joke or, you know, something. You know, we've, spe- we've spoken about Nora Ephron before with, like, our female directors episode. Um, I-, I enjoyed this documentary because of the parallel it was making. And from that documentary, I learned about Heartburn, Heartburn is one of the films that she wrote. To clarify, for those who may be unsure or unfamiliar, Nora Ephron is the writer and director of several films, including Sleepless in Seattle and... What Woman Want. Right, right, and several others. So that's all I have on the documentary. And once I saw how heartburn was essentially about what she was going through. She was going through somewhat a, a relationship where she was being cheated on. They had one baby already, and another one was on the way. And that's not a spoiler, because it's real life. This film stars Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson. And it's just filmed in such a real way, when a relationship's going to fall apart because of, you know, cheating. It really portrayed what it feels like 
what it looks like, how things are sort of just abandoned, like they were they were doing up their dream home and all of a sudden you just you don't see it really anymore. Well, for a period of time, she runs back to her father because that's the safe place for her. And she's just in bed, <laughs> sitting, watching stuff. I guess her subconscious starts playing tricks on her. And it's kind of like the scene from The Holiday, which is also a Nora Ephron film, where the TV is whatever's on there, whether it's a movie trailer or TV show, is talking about what she's going through <laughs> as a way of trying to you know, figure out what's her next step. So, to clarify, Heartburn is from 1986. It was one of the films that she wrote the screenplay for, in this case, based on her novel. And it was directed by Mike Nichols, who is most famous for The Graduate and several other films. Closer is another Mike Nichols movie. Oh, and, and um, by the way, you had said that uh, Nora Ephron did What Women Want and The Holiday. You're actually confusing her with Nancy Myers. Oh, shit. I'm yeah. sorry, guys. So, I'm sick. The brain isn't working 100% right now. Yeah, it, it's an easy mistake with confusing those two. Nora Ephron, uh, to clarify, she also directed You've Got Mail. And oh, and Bewitched. Bewitched, which you really enjoyed and you've talked about before in Julie and Julia. Also, uh, among other films. So, I'm curious, going back to the documentary, this was made after she had passed away, is that correct? I believe so, because it, there wasn't live, you know, interview with her. Okay, that was my other question, is if it had, if it had anything with her in particular. Heartburn is also available on HBO, so it's quite nice, you can do a double feature. Another thing I got to watch this week is The Handmaid's Tale. That is the original Hulu show based on the, I believe, Margaret Atwood novel. Uh, it's post-apocalyptic. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's it's more like hmm. dystopia. Yes, that's better. Yeah. yeah. It's dystopian. So I finished this in about maybe four days. Uh, it's only a ten episodes. When it first came out, I wanted to watch it, but at the same time, there were so many negative things happening around us at the time that I felt like I couldn't really take on a dystopian TV show. It's about 10 hours of viewing. Particularly one that had to do with women's issues, right? Yeah, anything that kind of harms women makes me incredibly either mad, PTSD, that was, what was that that sent me into a PTSD moment? It was Nocturnal Animals. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah, that's so right. So it really varies, and I didn't want to put myself through that, but... This was good, and it was good to watch it alone, uh, not with a male around me, because what happens is I'll take that on subconsciously, and then I'll take it out on a male, and so it's better if I just, you know, for me personally, better to watch it by myself, so if you're someone who's sensitive like that as well, uh, I highly recommend that, but this was a great show. It had really interesting nuggets of information. And it really makes you question, well, what would you do if you were faced with this particular challenge? I don't think it's a spoiler to say that infertility is a huge part of the plot and how people are trying to deal with that. The parental figure in me is definitely like, you really shouldn't be doing it like that, but it's an interesting exploration. What I also want to mention about it is the characters hide behind this idealism which a lot of people strive for. 
something as simple as eating organic food to kind of a rejection of uh, the portrayal of women in media, but then they do other things that totally contradicts how they're treating women. Interesting nuggets of information and things that'll make you question, well, I mean, I'd like to do that ideal thing, but the way they're doing it doesn't really seem to jive with me. Visually, it's pretty stunning. They really got their cinematography down. There's only a couple shots where you can see feathering, so not quite good removal of the background or or adding of the background, uh, but that's only near the end. So th they have a season two coming, and I think it starts in April. So this is, by all accounts, one of the top shows of 2017. I have not had an opportunity to catch up with it. Uh, is it something that you think that I would enjoy? I think <clears throat> the fact that, you know, everything I've just mentioned, about questioning ideals and how to go about them, I think specifically for that, you would enjoy it. It kind of reminds me of Children of Men. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. I think I've heard that comparison too. I mean, Children of Men is kind of placid compared to this, but same sort of concept. Very cool. So that's The Handmaid's Tale, which is obviously um, on Hulu. I'm sure most of you have probably caught up with that, unless you're like me and... Practically oh. living under a rock in terms of TV stuff. Well, and I just wanted to say that mm. the performances were really spot on. Yeah, I've heard in particular a lot of praise for Elizabeth Moss. There's a co-star, but I can't quite remember who. She reminds me of <clears throat> the main woman in Gone Girl. <laughs> Elizabeth Moss does? No, the, the other character. Uh. There are several really strong characters in this. For something that treats women so badly. There's a lot of strong female characters in this show. Oh, I think it's the... I could be wrong, but I think it's the Yvonne Strahovski character who uh, a lot of people know Yvonne Strahovski from Chuck. Oh, yes. I enjoy her performance. If I'm not mistaken, it's, it's her I am thinking of. And Alexis Bledel, who I forgot was in, in the series. So, anyway. Very cool. Alright. So that's... Your Week in Review. I have really not watched anything beyond what you and I have watched together, so let's get into our Week in Review. We have a couple movies that we need to discuss that we saw a couple weeks ago, actually. Let's start with Lady Bird. This is the first film uh, by Greta Gerwig as in the director's chair. She does not star in this film, but it does star Saoirse Ronan and Laurie Metcalf, and Saoirse basically is a teenager who is trying to figure herself out. She, she, I mean, identity is clearly an aspect of the story because Lady Bird is a name she chooses to be called instead of her real name, which I believe is something like Catherine or something. What do you think, uh, what were your thoughts on Lady Bird? I really think, you know, we've, I've just spoken about Handmaid's Tale and the movies we're about to discuss throughout this podcast. I think this year was the year of strong female characters. Hmm. I really do. Let's do a list on that. That'll make me happy. I loved their performances. I loved the story. There was so much I could relate to. So very much. It's real. 
it's authentic. It's not glammed up. At the same time, it's not the opposite end of the scale either. It's not like gritty, you know, it's kind of this beautiful in-between um, of truth. And, you know, if you break down the elements of the movie, I can relate to probably 80% of it. And I bet every other girl could relate, you know, every other woman could relate to all of that. And I'm pretty sure I can relate. I'll, I will be able to one day relate to the mom when I have birthed my own children. I really, really enjoyed this film. And I really hope to see it go very far with Oscar nominations and wins. Mm. Because I feel like a story to me that seems so original and so authentically told, you know, something that makes you feel the way I felt after watching it deserves everything. So I'm really glad that this film got made. I hope that that's helpful information to people out there. Yeah, you know, I feel like this film is something akin to Diary of a Teenage Girl from a couple years ago. Mm. In that it's clearly depicting women of a certain age that women would be able to relate to. Or is it about an experience that women would be able to relate to? And and as such, of course, I had that distance to it where um, it wasn't something that I could relate to myself. But I definitely appreciated what was going on in front of me the writing was just really really sharp and really interesting the performances by Saoirse Ronan and especially by Saoirse Ronan and Laurie Metcalf were really interesting because they weren't one-dimensional there was nuance to them and, and almost every single scene you know Lady Bird will go from being either embarrassed or annoyed by her mom in one second to turning around in, in literally another second and um, commenting on on something they see in a store together, like in a, in a way, to, like in a rhetorical way, you know? <laughs> that kind of reminds me of the first five minutes of the film, how it goes from one extreme to the other. Right, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, you were commenting about it in awards, and I think it's a it's a solid lock for Best Picture nomination. It's currently tracking a time of recording, and we're currently recording uh, right before Christmas weekend. It is among the five most awarded and the most nominated films of the year, with all the all the different awards. That, you know, because we're in award season. Yeah. With all the critic circles and, and everything else, it has received somewhere around 25 nominations and five wins, uh, which is uh, which is really good. So I feel pretty confident it's going to end up being in the top five or top three of um, the best picture considerations for the Oscars. And I think it was also nominated by the Golden Globes, if I'm not mistaken. And unfortunately, though, Greta Gerwig was not nominated oh, for man. Best Director, uh, which is which is a shame because she 
it's definitely deserving of attention and, and um, accolades kind of falling on her. Is this a, a triple F rated film? Yeah, it is because uh, she wrote it and she directed it, and Saoirse Ronan, of course, stars in it. Uh, this may be my new top three favorite F rated film. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, that, that, that's the thing. When we when we walked out of it, it was very clear that this thing connected with you in ways that is impossible for it to have for me. I think that there is definitely something to appreciate there. I have to ask, does it give you any insight into what shapes a woman? That's an interesting question. Because they go through, they address so many different things. They do. And I just confirmed, yes, it, it, Lady Bird was nominated for Best Comedy by the <laughs> Golden okay. Globes. Yes, it does. I'm trying to remember everything because unfortunately it's been a couple weeks um, and Star Wars is really more the front of my mind since we saw that twice also. Uh, but yes, I think it does. Absolutely. And I think there is definite insight by Greta. I mean, this is a quasi-autobiographical film about a time in her life shortly before she went on to pursue her acting career. And it's not like like beat by beat or like a, a literal translation of her life but it's all clearly inspired by a part of her life and so like most movies written and directed by women about women it does absolutely was there did you have any other thoughts okay so the other film that we saw was three billboards outside ebbing missouri which is directed by... The longest by, title ever! Well, it might be of, of this year. The, um, the most beautiful title. <laughs> especially since, like, Fantastic Beasts didn't come out this year and all that sort of stuff. But uh, this, is, this film is written and directed by Martin McDonough. It stars Francis McDormand, Sam Rockwell, Woody Harrelson, among others. God, Francis is amazing. So talk about that. What do you think of Three Billboards? Well, okay, I think it's important to tell the audience that we watched... Lady Bird, and then we went to watch Three Billboards. And that was a great double feature on a weekend because it's both about, essentially, mother-daughter relationships. That's mm. where it's stemming from. That's true, yeah. And how a relationship can be. Your relationship with your mother is never as bad as you think. <laughs> the last thing you say to your mother or the last thing you say to your daughter is never as bad as you think. So, I feel like... Well, it's pretty bad in, in three billboards. Well, context, scale. That's what we're establishing here. What I'm trying to say is a lot of people, a lot of mothers and daughters beat themselves up with their communication with each other. Yeah. And I feel like after you watch three billboards, you're going to feel okay afterwards. But, whereas but, in Lady Bird, you might be able to relate. You Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's more... You know, like I said, it's like the middle of the scale. Yeah. You know, everybody can come to it. Yeah. So I love the performances. I love the story. It felt like a unique story to me. I loved Frances's character. I loved mm. what she did with the character. Man, you know when you see someone's performance and you're like, what is she channeling? You know, what is she thinking about? What is she doing to get herself into that groove? Mm. And I feel like people can sort of ask themselves, this is also one of those questioning movies where, well, how far would you go for yeah, sure. revenge? How far would you go to seek justice? Which way would you go 
Are you going to be the mom that goes around to each and every person in each and every house in the town? And when you're done with that, are you going to go to the outside town? Are you going to be the mom that just kills every person that did what they did that ended in your daughter's death? Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? Yeah. So taking a step back, uh, we should explain the movie is about... Yeah, it's the basic plot of the movie. We should explain okay. that it's it's about basically a mom who is frustrated with the local police uh, department after months after her daughter was raped and murdered. And so it's ba- primarily about that tension between the mom, played by Frances McDormand, and the police department, primarily represented by Woody Harrelson and Sam Rockwell. Well, and what's really cool is it's not not really just that they set context via other things happening in the town too which i really enjoyed like with sam rockwell's character he doesn't have his own beat that he follows he's following other people's drums and he's not figuring out what his drum says and i just really like the evolution that every single character in this film goes through no one's left out yeah you know it is a really surprising film in, in that way. I will say, without giving too many details, this is a movie where you you think you know where each <laughs> yeah. character is going to go. You think you've seen this before. You think you have a particular character pegged. Or maybe every character pegged. And you really don't. And that actually lends the film a certain degree of reality to it. It doesn't it doesn't feel as much like a quote-unquote movie uh, where people behave in plot-driven manners. It, people behave as people would in this film, for the most part. And I find that incredibly intriguing. You're right, Frances McDormand, uh, she's hands down given one of the best performances of the year, and mm-hmm. I think she is perhaps the performance to beat this year yeah. in terms of awards. And I don't know that anybody... I'd have to think, but I don't know, think I've seen anybody yet who gave such an interesting performance. It's not like a Death Wish... By Death Wish, I mean like a Charles Bronson Death Wish type film where you know, I expected it to be this really angry, pissed-off mom who's going on a rampage. And she's going to take everyone down with her. Right, and it's not... It's not that, although there is an element that teases that direction, and I won't, I won't, I'll say no more about that. But, you know, even with Sam Rockwell, who I expected this to be one of his idiotic performances, and he even, and part of it's a tribute to the writing too, but there's more to him that, that you discover uh, during the course of the, the film. This is, hands down, the best movie I've seen so far this year. It's one of the best scripts, for sure. I really appreciated this film. And you know what? It's not... I expected it to be really brutal. I expected it to be a really tough go at times. And it's actually funny, you know? But not like... If you're familiar with Martin McDonough's films, you know, he's done uh, In Bruges and he's done Seven Psychopaths. And... This is a completely different movie than those two movies. It's not funny in the way those movies are, especially not in the way Seven Psychopaths is funny, which I feel like is a much more conventional comedy. This is funny in a lot more of an organic way, when it is funny. And Woody Harrelson is 
great in a supporting in a supporting role in this film. I'm really hesitant to say too much about him in this movie because of where that character goes. But I really I really felt like this is this is Martin McDonough's best film, hands down. Mm-hmm. I really like his other films, but this is this is one of the greatest films of the this is a great film, I guess is the <laughs> best way to sum it up. Do you have any other thoughts about Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri? I think people should go watch it. You don't have to worry. It's not overdone. You know, it's not going to make you want to rage against the world. (laughs) Actually, I don't recall that much violence in the film either. It just makes you question things. Like, question, is this how far I would go? Is, oh, that's an option? I didn't even think that that was an option. Would I do it? It's a movie where there's there's something to chew on, right? Yeah. And it definitely needs your support because I'm not sure what the budget was on this movie, but I'm looking at Box Office Mojo right now, and it's only made $22 million. You know, I imagine that's just over double the budget, you know? So, and it's going it's going down. It, it's, um, oh, yeah. I think it topped out at number seven um, when it expanded, and it's fallen, it's fall, it fell outside in the next week outside the top ten. So, so whatever you can do to support this film, go for it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, really briefly, you really wanted to see one of your most anticipated movies yeah. of the fall season. Which Wood was Shock, starring Kristen Dunst. Correct, yes. Which was direct. it's the first time directed film by the Malivi twins. Are you familiar with uh, these? Because they're, they're apparently really like big in the fashion world. I'm not familiar, but I've been out of the whole fashion loop for a while. Okay. So I'm not going to be able to say much. I can say that this film, you can tell if you're familiar with looking at fashion photography and fashion history, you can tell that there's definitely trendy fashion things being played with here. Mm. Like the way they double expose an image with the way that they set things out, with the way that the set design is, with the way palette is it's very consistent stylish cinematography and choices being made here and most of what you can sample in the trailer now this is a triple f rated movie mm-hmm. it is written and directed by the twins and stars kirsten dunst in the lead and it's basically having to do with grief and drugs yes now if someone had told me it has to do with grief but also drugs i would have been like oh then this is not the film for me. <laughs> <laughs> now, I should, I should clarify, when I say drugs, it is not hard drugs per se. It's, it's pretty much just pot. She's just but, tripping all the time. Uh, it's not helpful tripping. Yeah. So, this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you uh, start off. This is your most anticipated, one of your most anticipated movies of the fall season. How did you feel about it? How, did it live up to your expectations? It did not live up to anything I had expected. Um, I'm actually going to be a harsh little bitch here because this this movie really upset my soul. I was so looking forward to it. You see the trailer, and as I mentioned before, it's beautiful imagery. Everything seems very thoughtfully picked out. Like, you can tell, you know, there's a certain style happening here. And so it was very exciting for me, that part. And it was the most tedious, boring piece of shit I've ever seen. It made me cry, not from, like, sadness about a performance or anything like that, or relation to any character. It made me sad because I had chosen that film, and I think it's two hours long, 
and it was just a complete waste of my time. A complete waste. Nope. Well, and Jeff just corrected me. It is not two hours, even though it feels like three. It's an hour and 40 minutes. And I just, I, I cannot recommend this film. I just can't. Even to, like, the, the visual artists out there, I don't know. Maybe if you're high, it, it feels different. I don't know. Not that I'm recommending people do that. I'm just saying, I don't recommend this film. <laughs> Got it. So, I, I, I concur. I found it also tedious. It's pace. Uh, it's story or lack thereof. They, there's no craftsmanship in the, I guess, the script in particular. And I felt like the talent in, involved in the acting, the performances, you know, all, all people who are, are good actors and, and everything, I think they were kind of left to do what they could with the, with the script and... Uh, maybe we're just supporting these people who I would assume they, they knew outside of the film. At any rate, it's a beautiful-looking film at times, but I feel like you kind of get everything you really need to out of the film just by watching the trailer, which is unfortunate because the trailer is what made it look worthwhile, you know? Yeah, definitely one of the worst movies I've experienced this year. All right, that's enough about that. On with the positivity. So let's get to our main event, which is a review of Star Wars The Last Jedi. from the trailer to Star Wars The Last Jedi, the latest film in the Skywalker saga, is episode 8, directed by and written by Ryan Johnson, who you may know from such films as Brick, The Brothers Bloom, and on Looper. Our, one of our favorites, which starred Bruce Willis. So, in this episode... Ray tries to convince Luke Skywalker to end his exile and lead the Resistance while learning answers about the past. Meanwhile, Finn and a new friend go on a mission to stop the New Order from destroying the remaining members of the Resistance, including General Organa. That is as specific as we're going to get for a while. Regarding this film, we will have a spoiler section. And because there's a lot to, to get to and, and, and we're going to try to condense it in as short amount of time as possible, usually when we talk about a franchise or a series of movies, we like to talk about our relationships with them. But I'm just going to cut to the chase and say we are huge Star Wars fans. So kind of why we got married. Kind of. 
When that I, was the first time Jeff proposed. What? <laughs> you had said, oh, what do I think of episode one, two, and three? And I said, I didn't like them as much as three, four, like four, five, and six. And you were like, oh, my God, I want to marry you. Ah, okay. <laughs> yes, I see. That happened. Yeah, so that basically gives you an idea of our feelings on the series. Let's move on. We do like in our reviews to talk about first what we liked about a movie, then talk about what we didn't like a movie, the good, then the bad, which opens up to general conversation about a film before finishing up with spoilers and final thoughts. So, Shannon, give us your general thoughts about what you liked about Star Wars The Last Jedi. So, I love this film. I wanted to see it again the next day. We got to see it on opening night, which I highly recommend to everyone. Uh, If you're a Star Wars fan, Mm. go ahead, book the day off, do something to make it work, because it's worth doing that. It Um, is a a much better experience than a later showing a few days later. It's just it's it's just a different different in terms of crowd. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's like you've gone to the theater with. Friends, but I don't just mean, oh, you know, you got like two friends or four friends, like the whole cinema is your friend, which is an awesome experience. I thought the visuals were outstanding. I thought that everything looked really slick, really vibrant, really at times a little trippy, um, but in a good way, you know, not in a woodshock way. So I fell in love with everything that was happening. I don't really see very many faults and <laughs> that's probably because i'm too in love with the movie is that all you you liked about the movie just the visuals well i mean as gen role as i can well we don't have to be that broad <laughs> oh ray like... kick ray came she saw she kicked some ass okay name that quote ren was you know kind of ren was pretty awesome i enjoyed that it was creepy as fuck at times but really great and Luke did not disappoint. Leia did not disappoint. Uh-huh. Uh, figure that out in spoilers later. And yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. I want to go watch it again. We get to. We get to go for a third time because we're going to take our step, uh, my stepson. So it's very exciting. Okay, well, I, I had a lot to say about this movie. I think, first of all, this is hands down one of the best Star Wars films in the entire history of the franchise. I want to say it's at least up there with A New Hope, if not better than A New Hope and up there with Empire Strikes Back. It, and, that, and the reason for that is not only because it continues what The Force Awakens did, which is to ex- show you more of what is possible in this world and give you more of what you loved... But it goes even further than what we have seen before. Further with um, what what the rebels are capable of you know, when they're fighting the New Order, what the, the ideas of the Force... It, it, it goes further thematically. I was thinking about it a couple days ago, and I realized this is the first film I feel like since perhaps the new uh, a new hope since the original film where there is a lot to actually chew on and think about and discuss in, you know in depth 
like I saw and analyzed A New Hope in college, right? Because there's the whole Joseph Campbell, Hero's Journey thing, and there's all this other stuff that you could actually analyze about A New Hope, right? It's much more than just a fun popcorn film. I mean, and I mean, that's how I felt about it. It is. I'm it, still well, on it, the, is it is that. I'm it still is. on the fun train. <laughs> it is that, right? Because, I mean, it's very hard to stop yourself and analyze the movie sometimes because it's so fun. I feel like none of the Star Wars movies ever achieved that until now. You know? Even... Even Empire Strikes Back, as great as a sequel it, as it is, right? It is one of the best sequels ever made. It doesn't necessarily have as much meat or, uh, or themes or intrigue or things that you can actually discuss, right? But, you know, Empire was a very plot-driven story, and it did a lot as a sequel for its time. But this film does a lot more than just driving story. It it drives ideas. It gets complicated. It it um, adds nuance to what we previously knew or thought we knew, you know, about characters or ideas and concepts in this universe. Um, this film is very interested in not I don't want to say dualities, but. You know, the idea of, like, there's a light side, there's a dark side, right? And there's a balance and all that sort of stuff, right? Well, it, it plays with um, that in a lot of different ways throughout the, the movie. It, 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 it talks about failure and how failure can either crush you or it can be a teacher, you know? It deconstructs our ideas of a hero, which is really big for this franchise because uh, this is probably the most, the biggest example of people fantasizing and kind of having all these ideas and imagining what these characters go on and do, right? Like, this is a really great example of hero worship for for a lot of people, right? And um, it, it kind of deconstructs and tears all that uh, apart in, in this film, which I think is, is one of the things that makes this film also relevant to today. And there's other, other things. There's the idea, there's a, a character says at one point, how we'll win is not to destroy the things we hate, but to save the things we love. Silly. Is <laughs> is a really yeah. great line. It's it's a very I mean that is a great theme. It talks a lot about leadership and the past. Does the past define who we are? There's details about this I want to get into in spoilers uh, about that. Uh, there's so much. Uh, <laughs> there's so much great stuff. On top of it all, surface level. It's great seeing these characters. It never. It doesn't disappoint on on what. Basically, the um, the setup that the Force Awakens creates. I mean, it it's, it kind of lays it up, and Last Jedi dunks it. You know, I have a couple nits to pick, and I have some other stuff in spoilers. I want to talk about uh, what your thoughts are in terms of fan reaction and and what you think. There's a lot to love. Oh, humor. This oh, is the wittiest. So great. Yeah, I mean Ryan Johnson definitely like definitely injected some of his humor into it. It's a, it's a very witty film, 
too. I think it's fun. It's very well crafted, very well written. It's a yeah, it's a it's on its own terms as a film, as a sequel. It is a great film. Probably the best sequel of the year. Did you have anything else you want to share that you liked about the movie? I don't know if you quite touched on this one, but I think it is a film. It doesn't matter if you haven't seen the others, but it really does spark hope in people. Stay on the path. Everything's going to work out as long as you have hope and how hope can inspire a display of hope can inspire hope in others. Yeah, I was going to get to that. I actually have that written down in, in my oh, notes. Yes, that's a, that's a <laughs> I wasn't, big... I wasn't copying you, I swear. Yeah, that's a big part of the third act, um, especially. So, yeah, absolutely. Let's come back to that. Do we want to move into next anything sure. you didn't like about the movie? Sure. Why don't you uh, start us off with what you, you disliked? Okay, so, and I'm going... Again, I'm not going to get too specific, but little nits... To pick very little, and I actually can only remember one and a concern I have. There is a scene where there is a character who is watching dozens of other characters die, does so before taking action, and you're kind of like that. You kind of wondering like, okay, well, like you could have done that earlier. You could have taken that action that you choose to take a little earlier. You didn't have to watch. You didn't have to wait till dozens of people died. I have thoughts on this too. So when you're done, okay, uh, go ahead. That's that's I pretty much stated my nit. <laughs> I understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. I get it. Uh-huh. I feel that what could have helped uh-huh. is staying with that particular character. But what this movie does do a good job uh-huh. at, and it's a fault in this scene is jump from character to character showing, you know, the different interpretations of the events that are happening. Okay. Um, and I think that's And where, other events that are happening. Yeah. And that's where parallel. it probably shouldn't have done that. The editing process. It probably should have sticked with this character and just seen that thought through to the end instead of checking in with other people. Well, okay. So here's the thing, though. What you're stating supposes that there isn't as many people dying, that it's actually like moments pass, right? When actually you can count how many groups of people are dying each time it cuts to what's happening. So it's clear that this character is standing and watching for a few minutes. Well, I mean, don't you think it's reasonable to say that this character may have been in shock before realizing the ultimate thing that they had to do in order to help the situation? That is a possibility, but it is not what the perform the direction the performance gives. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I don't I don't believe that the act, the person performing the character made that choice in their performance of that scene. I think you're supposed to hate this character no matter what, and maybe it's to a fault because oh. now because now we actually think that everything this character did, well, maybe just this particular situation, is wrong. 
Oh, see, I, I, and I don't feel that way. I, I, I see why you would say that, because you are led for a certain amount of the film to believe one thing, and you find out another thing is the case. Um, and for me, once I found out the other thing was the case, I, it's not like I had residual resentment. I had suspicion mm. during the course of the movie in the first place, you know, and expectation... But that's actually one thing about this movie is it upends expectations. Hmm. Well, and, and, and remind me to come back to that in spoilers because... Um, oh, we're going to talk about it again. That's, well, <laughs> no, just the idea of upending expectations. Okay. Because this character is a definite example of upending expectations. And when that happened, I was more like intrigued that my expectation was upended. That, it, that I was not smarter than the movie and what this character was doing all along, if that makes sense. So I wasn't resentful of the character. And it's, 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 and it's just one moment that in hindsight, or especially after a second viewing, I'm kind of like, yeah, that character could have acted sooner. And that's, that's my one nit. Now, okay. now, my concern, and I don't know to what extent we can discuss this, but the episodes one... Through eight, nine, in a couple years, is always been posited as the Skywalker saga, right? It always is about the Skywalkers primarily, right? Not about the world and the galaxy and everything as a whole, but about the Skywalkers. From episode one, being Take a about... shot every time you hear Skywalker. <laughs> Sorry, am I saying it a lot? That's you getting your point. Very firmly across. Yes. <laughs> so it starts with Anakin in episode one, and you know, you're for a long time we were led to believe that it ends with Luke in episode six, right? Okay. So the question is left, and I'm concerned, especially after the end of this movie, how does this fit into the bigger picture? of the Skywalker saga, and what is episode 9 going to do and say as an end point to the Skywalker saga? That's, that's a concern that I, that I am left with after this film. It, it, in no way, I mean, I clearly I expressed my opinions in general about the movie, and it did not ruin the movie. I don't think it's a weaker film. It's just a concern in general, about how this piece fits the overall picture and the puzzle. I don't think you're going along with the message of this film. With hope that everything's going to work out. Well. <laughs> okay. I think everything. I don't think I that think... you should stress about number nine. I, because did we really know what was going to happen in this one? No, not well, really. Uh, well, okay. We need to get to spoilers. Because I know I want to respond to that, but we, we really do need to get to spoilers. Was there anything else uh, that you had that you did have issues with, or anything else you want to discuss generally about the movie before we get there? Well, there were two issues. One issue is mine, and another issue I realized when I was speaking to my brother, which was a very interesting conversation <laughs> because he said he was he was not. Totally thrilled about the film. But, and then I had to stop talking to him for a little bit. But he brought up a good concern. That certain alien movements, puppetry, 
were mm. not exactly as smooth as they could have been. Okay. And I'm not sure if it's in reference to episode four, five, and six being handheld puppets. Like, uh-huh. oh, we're just trying to, you know, mimic that. Or if it's just somebody thought they could get away with it and you can't. You're referring specifically to a, uh, a, a specific scene regarding, and I'll just say it, the Porgs, because the Porgs are, are yeah. actually in the trailers, so it's not spoiling anything that they exist. Yeah. You're referring to a specific scene and how, how, they, how they move in a particular scene. Yeah, so my brother and I were discussing it, and he had a good statement. He said, they are not elevators, they are organic beings. You can't just lift them out of the screen. In terms of simulating flight. Well, simulating any movement in general. Mm. And I realized that he had a really good point. Uh, Thanks, Jared. Because when the porgs are, like, down on the ground, they're kind of similar to dodos. They're slow moving. They're pretty calm. You know. Mm. But then all of a sudden they're they're not. When they're frightened. Well, yeah. And I guess... Nobody really knows how someone or something is going to move if it's frightened to death, but um, it's a good point. And then the thing that I had a problem with is some cuts are a little too harsh oh. and lead into a different interpretation upon second or third viewing of the film. Huh. Um, it's when Ray has had a vision and all of a sudden she is woken up in the morning and a particular species is there that wasn't there previously, that mm. had not been established, and it kind of leads you down this path of either shock and uh, curiosity, or it makes you think, are you on a drug trip? <laughs> so it's it's a little off okay. with the movement. Okay. If the movement was a little more organic yeah. um, and a little bit of a better setup, I wouldn't have that question. But upon second viewing, I was like, is she... Still having a, a vision episode? I wasn't huh. really sure. Interesting. So that's the only thing I had a problem with. It's a minor thing. Yeah. And that's the thing. Uh, our, our issues, whatever we have. So minor. Extremely minor. Extremely minor. Uh, so let's... um, let's Spoiler time! Get to, to spoilers and, uh, and, and wrap up our discussion uh, here. So, absolutely, if you have not seen... Um, Last Jedi, if you're not one of the 45 million people or whoever worldwide that saw The Last Jedi yet, we highly recommend it, unless you're, for whatever reason, not a Star Wars fan. You should probably catch up with the others first. Well, but yeah, if you liked what The Force Awakens did, you're going to be really impressed with what The Last Jedi did, and I give it a 9 out of 10 uh, myself, which is a very uncommon rating for me. All right, with that, if you haven't seen the film, skip ahead to film faves. Uh, Otherwise, it is time for spoilers for Star Wars The Last Jedi. Okay, there is so much to dive into, and I I, I really, I don't want to, you know, we could talk for hours about this movie. We could easily talk for an hour without even paying attention, but I want to try not to because we have other things to discuss okay so here's the thing i guess this might be a great entry point coming from spoilers yeah spoilers yeah this movie answers practically all the questions that force awakens poses (sighs) 
right? Which I didn't expect, mm. right? Uh, everything that you thought was going to be like this three episode arc Which is really isn't necessary. Resolved in this movie. Well, apparently it's not necessary. It's resolved in this movie, <laughs> right? We learn, we learn the identity of Ray's parents. I mean, do we? Yeah, we do. But do we? Yeah, we do. Do we really? Yeah, we do. You don't. I, you don't I believe. Don't think so. You don't believe it. How can you believe anything that he says? Because she knows it, and that's no, no, one no. of the things that he's saying. No, 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 no. She knows no, no, it is no. the truth. No, no, no. Here's the problem I have with that. What? This movie is about hope, and yeah. how hope can ebb and flow, well, and she's just in an ebb. I'm, I refuse to believe that she knows who her parents are. And besides, she had them revealed to her when she was under a sort of... Vis- when you talking about in the cave? Yeah, uh, that wasn't facilitated by her. That was facilitated by Snook, okay? So I don't believe anything in that. If she goes and explores that question again... In the next episode, I'm going to believe that. I'm, I'm going to, well, I, hmm. I, I think... Maybe I'm one, just in denial, but... Yeah, I think one of the things that you got to remember is, is this film upends expectations. And one of the most speculated things uh, by fans of from The Force Awakens is whose Rey's parents were. So many were certain that she was a solo or she was a Skywalker, or she was a Kenobi. She had to be related to somebody that we already know. And this movie actually says, no, you know what? Other people, even people who come from nothing, can oh, can be powerful and one with the Force. Well, I'm not asking for her parents to be any of those people. It could be someone ancient for all I care. But yes, we're all capable of... Power. Mm-hmm. We're all capable of using it, discovering it, mm-hmm. training with it. Mm-hmm. We're all capable of that. Mm-hmm. I totally get that concept. I just didn't like it. And mm. I didn't like that Ren was the one that said something. It shouldn't have been him. She should have had like a moment by herself. I feel like it makes sense that it's it's Kylo. It's Ben. That that because they clearly they have uh, a connection, and uh, and again, yeah, like they have connection. they have a connection for uh, a thematic reason, but they have a connection none, nonetheless, and it makes sense that he, being this this person who's on the opposite side, uh, is able to confirm her suspicions or the or what she was afraid of being the case that she was just abandoned by. People who just uh, who sold her and didn't care about her, despite that she's meant for something great. In terms of things that answers questions that it answers, I mean, or or things that come to a resolution. Snoke, set up as what you think is this trilogy's new emperor. I'm right? really glad that they didn't carry on with that. I don't need to look at an ugly thing. For three episodes, full well, three episodes. First of all, by by the way, I will say that he was well done. He was. Oh no, he was he's very awesome. well written, and and people were afraid that he was going to look terrible in this movie. I just don't want to look at someone whose skull obviously got crushed and then put back together. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure, sure. It, and Andy Circus again, once once again, he's he was so a great amazing. I love him. Yeah, I mean his vocal performance in this is, is great too, but um. I love you, Andy. 
At any rate, what I'm trying to get at is halfway through the movie, Snoke dies. I love that. Which is incredible. And of course, it, it's, it's followed by you know, one of the m- most amazing sequences in the history of Star Wars. Where Oh, God, that was beautiful. You know, you have Rey and Ben fighting side by side with lightsabers. And not only that, but you actually get to see what the Imperial Guard are yes. actually capable of, right? Yeah, they're not just for sure. Granted that this is a slightly different Imperial Guard than what blew up in the Return of the Jedi with the Emperor <laughs> and everything, you, you get the sense that they, they hold the same skill set, right? More or less. They um, just have different weapons and a slightly different look. Yeah, that red was amazing. Yeah. I, I thought that that cinematography <clears throat> of that set, mm-hmm. oh, it was like, it was a good red. It wasn't... A red that nauseates you, like mm-hmm. in *Inglorious Bastards*, when it's at the climax of the film, yeah. and there's all the Nazi red everywhere. Yeah. And even if the Nazi logo wasn't there, it's still an intoxicating red. Yeah. But in this, in *Star Wars*, uh, this room, this scene, the red is just there's something about it. Yeah. That's like, it's not too much, but it's just it's perfect. And I know that's weird, but yeah. that tone choice was amazing. Yeah. Well, and, and that whole sequence isn't just amazing just because you have this awesome fight with lightsabers and the Imperial Guard, but also, for a moment, you get what you hoped might happen, which is these two coming together. And then, again, it upends expectations. Ben Solo, he decides he, he's going in a different way, right? Yeah. He, he did this. So they could rule the galaxy together and destroy their figureheads of their past and basically reconstruct a future together, which I thought was was fascinating. It's not a bad idea. It's understandable. Right. It's kind of like we spoke about mother-daughter relationships earlier, and this is how a teenager could end up. (laughs) You've got... Or a young adult could end up. You've got mm-hmm. Ben, and then you've got Ray, mm-hmm. and they both kind of go through traumatic, for themselves, traumatic parental lives. Yeah, sure, okay. In their own way. Uh-huh, okay. You know, everybody deals with parents yeah. in their own way. Okay. But it's interesting how each of them deals with it, mm-hmm. and what they end up trying to stand for. He wants to just, he obviously just, hates himself and hates everything he comes from. Mm. So much pressure. and You know, it's it's an understandable thing. Yeah, I he's... Think. Well, that's the thing. He's more sympathetic. Not the sympathetic in the sense that you feel bad for him, but you want to understand him. And his character enriches in this yeah. film. And that's one of the things I should have mentioned earlier in the review is Kylo Ren becomes so much more in this film. There's there's more complexity to him in this film. I feel like the people who criticized him in the last film for being uh, whiny and everything, they, they, they misunderstood that, yeah, yeah he, that's, that's what he's supposed to be at that point. He's a kind of a fool in a way. He's playing pretend. He's still, he hasn't matured. He hasn't grown up. And in this film, he literally destroys his helmet. And from there, he starts to begin a transformation. And he becomes a lot more complex and an intriguing character. He's now a good 
villain. Really. So to speak, yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's fascinating, and it's going to be really fascinating to see where he goes from from here too. Yes, I'm very curious. So, another way that it defies our expectations is with Luke Skywalker, right? So much speculation. Oh, what happens when he gets the lightsaber? You know, was he going to is he going to just reject it, or is he going to embrace it and you know and and become the Ben Kenobi to Rey? You know, and what does he do? In this hilarious comedic beat, he pauses for a moment before tossing the lightsaber over his shoulder, which is a hilarious comedic moment, but is also representative of his attitudes about everything, primarily because of this incident he had where he, in his telling, almost killed his own student because he feared, he let fear take over him for a moment. Mm, Just for a moment. And unfortunately, as he was able to regain his composure, it was too late, and it led to a misunderstanding and a, a confrontation between him and Ben. Well, how different would life be now? And everything um, that we saw hinted at in The Force Awakens is recontextualized in here, uh, in The Last Jedi, right? In terms of what happened to Ben Solo. So, the, a lot of people who are flipping out and even Mark Hamill has publicly said he's had issues, especially when he was first signing, uh, reading the script. He had issues with the direction that Luke Skywalker went. Why? Because it wasn't what he expected. It wasn't what he had in mind. Mm. And fans are flipping out, and some of them are using Hamill's quotes as fuel for the fire, because everybody always lionized Skywalker. You know, as this great Jedi master, he was going to lead the future and, and, and regrow the Jedi class and everything. This film, through Skywalker, completely dis- deconstructs our hero worship, right? That's a good thing to call us out on. Mm. And I actually appreciate the film for surprising me like that with something that is much more complex and honestly more intriguing, you know? How much more interesting is this than seeing, you know, Luke Skywalker being the hero that we expect him to be? Now, he does end up having a really great moment in the end of the film. Well, you know, yeah. he gets to do something kind of like we what we expect him to be and do, right? Mm-hmm. In doing so, he's sacrificing himself. Well, and I guess that's his atonement, right? Mm-hmm. Perhaps. Well, and it's also, it can be seen as, well, he's done what he came here to do. And, you know, he's kind of done with life. It's time for him to go to the next phase. Well, he becomes one with the Force. Yeah, Um, the next phase. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so there's so much more that we could talk about. I just want to hit on a couple more things, just really as as brief as possible. I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. Go ahead. It's my turn now. I thoroughly enjoyed The Salt Planet. I yeah. want to do a shoot inspired by The Salt Planet. Huh. How fucking fantastic was that red under, you know, the white substance? Because I believe the red is the salt, actually. Oh, is it? I, mis- I understood it to be the other way around. No, because, like, the guy stuck his hand out on the red and tasted the red. And that's this, the mineral. The salt mineral. Oh. And, you know, if you have blue milk, why can't you have red salt? So okay. that was just so stunning because what it did, it added a level of violence with 
just coloring and movement and shape. So I really enjoyed that. And I really enjoyed, oh my God, when Ray is trying to learn about the force and she takes it so literal at first and, you know, Luke kind of knocks her down a peg to help her realize, no, it's like, this is what it actually is. And the fact that she gets to play at the end of it and really exercise her strength in how she can move objects with the force is amazing. And I love that scene because on the other end of things, Poe and Finn are trying not to give up, but it's really hard right, right, yeah. to keep it together mm-hmm. after everything they're going through. And she's on the other side and she's got her hope. And it's like they all come together and meet and create this new thing. Yeah. Which I really enjoyed. And just on a side note, I I think my favorite creature of the whole movie was the crystal foxes. Oh, yeah, yeah, I thought symbolically they were so perfect for this film as well. It actually is a great segue to one of the things I want to ask you about. How did you feel about the porks? I'm glad that they didn't take over because I was, Mm. I mean, when I saw that, that was the first piece of merchandise that was coming out. Yeah. Which, guys, in charge of merchandise, you suck. Like, you know, don't bring it out yet. Like, bring it... They brought it out, like, a month, two months before the movie. Well, they were in, the, we, in the trailer. But we knew nothing about them. You know, we didn't really know Does what their role was. Does a stuffed animal really tell you much about them? Well, why didn't they release a crystal fox? Because they're pokey. I don't know. Really? It could have been sequins. Anyway, I... I thought they were okay. Yeah. They reminded me of dodos. Um, so I thought that was cute. Dodos get talked about a lot in South Africa because oh. the dodos were in Mauritius. So an island a bit a bit up and away from South Africa. Mm. You know, that was kind of cute, I thought. Okay. The reason why I ask is because, um, you know, there's a lot of fan vitriol from a, a very vocal minority of the fans. By my estimation, my brother, um, for one. by my estimation, it's about like less than 1% of the people who've actually seen the movie. But part of it is the porgs. And I thought that there was a nice little balance of the use of the porgs. They weren't used too much. I was afraid they were going to be like overly cute and stuff. Yeah. And they ended up being one of my favorite new creatures um, in this movie. I did. I did. I could totally feel, and I'm curious about what Ryan Johnson has to say about this. I felt like they might have been one of the few mandates by Kathleen Kennedy. Make a creature that can be a toy or a plush or something for for marketing, right? Porgs are definitely that, right? But Ryan Johnson is a savvy filmmaker, and he was able to, yes, meet that demand, but make them relevant to the story or serve a purpose in, in the film, and not overdo it. I'm not really all about the porg hate. I thought they were handled um, tastefully. I thought my brother had a good point about the movement of the creatures. I think sure. the movement was off. Fair. It didn't totally distract me from the film. Yeah. But, you know, my brother's studied animation. He's gone through the whole course. So he knows how things are supposed to move, and yeah. that's not how. I felt that the creature I had a problem with at least the introduction of them, were the caretakers of the Jedi Temple. I was wondering if that's what you are talking about. That is not how they should have been introduced. It was so trippy. It was just a little too much. 
it needed to be a little different. Maybe fewer, like a smaller population as the intro Well, it wasn't like dozens of them. No, but if you think about the first time you see them, they're all over the screen. Yeah, and it didn't, I didn't have the same experience as you did. And the lighting is very, it's very harsh. It's very hyper real, hmm. which, which isn't good coming hmm. from the vision that she was having with uh, Kylo Ren at the time. Hmm. But, you know, I liked when they, were, when they were doing things, like when they were walking down the, the side of the mountain and Ray just so happened to cut a piece of rock. Yeah. And, that worked for me. Yeah, yeah. The, the comic relief there, yeah. Well, not just the comic relief, but the lighting was better on them, oh, and they okay. looked more real, you know? Sure, sure, this sure. This is supposed to be where aliens are real, not... Of course. Um, not like you see in the, the prequels. What did you think of... Again, like, I want to wrap up real soon here, but what did you think of the, the Finn subplot with Rose, Tico, um, a, a new character that we learned... Uh, were they going to the rich planet with the casino? Here's what I love about all these episodes. You know, it's world building. It's telling us how this galaxy works. Mm-hmm. I know this sounds stupid, but I never thought to ask where the ships were coming from. Right. I just thought that each end was making their own ships. But no, that's obviously not what would be happening. Even with the introduction of Rogue One... I still was under this, like, mm-hmm. fog of, oh, no, like, the good guys make their stuff and mm-hmm. the bad guys make their stuff. But this is excellent commentary on how humanity works as well, where someone is selling to the bad guys but may also be selling to the good guys. Yeah, You yeah. know, weaponry and you know, Lord of War type stuff. Yeah. And it makes sense that, you know, we, we tend to do okay – financially but at the same time we dream of of doing really fucking well financially and the the fact of the matter is people that are really raking it in are doing something really illegal or really questionable well it's 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 painting the one percent in there well yeah people getting rich off of war yeah and i forget that people can get rich off war it makes sense that someone would Okay. You know, to me, when yeah. you think about it. I, I'm really glad that they addressed that. I'm also glad that they gave us a really glitzy planet. Mm. Because most of the time, the planets are quite down-to-earth, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and too gritty. So it was nice to see something so shiny. And I love how Finn is like us <laughs> all the time. Like, getting, like, really excited yeah, and, yeah. and happy to be there. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, so yeah. I really liked how they brought the new character in. What is her name? I'm sorry. Rose Tico. Rose. I, I love Rose. I think that she's someone everyone can relate to, mm. especially if, you know, you're in a labor type position. Mm-hmm. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I also enjoyed the tear up the town line and what mm. they did. That was great. I bring it up because it's, you know, I'm listening to what, few criticisms there are of the movie and, and and some people feel like that's the weak point of, of oh. the film and i i do not i i seen the film twice and i and never did i was i bored by it never did i have any issues with it actually i felt like again it it take it goes further with some of the ideas that were just lightly brushed on in the past 
especially also introducing Benicio del Toro's character in it. Uh, you know, you know that there's people like Boba Fett that existed, like bounty mm-hmm. hunters. They're not on the light. They're not on the dark. They're out for themselves. And so if that's the case, who else is then, a right, who else is, you know, Han Solo, originally, mm. he was out for himself. He, all point. he was trying to do was survive, not get caught by the Empire, not get in, in trouble. But he didn't give two shits about Jedi or even believe in all that stuff, right? So this only furthers that by showing that there are people who actually... Their, their idea is if you don't pick a side, you survive. And so they're out for themselves and they are selling to both sides mm. just so they can, they can live. And so I thought that that was interesting. And as such, you know, it, it showed that there's people who profit greatly as a result and there's people who suffer greatly mm. as a result. People and who are getting tested and... Uh, not tested, but the the children that's de- depicted, or oh, the Rose. animals. Rose says it in a, in, a, in a way that's better. Mm, yeah, so I that actually worked for me. I didn't have. I, I was curious what you thought too. Is there anything else that you want to talk about before we wrap up? I really loved how Leia got to use her force powers. I was really upset. Yeah. Because I thought she was going to die in the first act. Right. And that was just going to piss me off so royally. And then when she used her force, we've never seen her do that. Right. And the fact is, she's capable of it. And I'm glad that she got a turn. So to me, that was really important, especially someone who's growing up around princesses Mm -hmm. and how a princess doesn't have to just be like a a little princess. No, we've... We've got our Moanas now, we've, yeah. and now we've got Leia. Right, who isn't even a princess at this point. But, y- yes, I uh, that, that a lesser film would have taken that scene and used it as an opportunity to write the character out mm. uh, when the actress has died. And credit to them for not restructuring the movie and taking advantage of that and, and plowing through. I'm pretty sure... Carrie Fisher had finished all her scenes yes. for Last Jedi before yes. she passed away. Well, she passed it, away almost a year ago, in a couple weeks. Uh, yeah, by the time you're listening to this, it actually will have been a year, I believe. But, yeah, we've been all wanting to see her use her forest powers, and, mm. and she does in a way that we didn't expect. That was actually one that I had. I was like, I'm not sure I fully believed what I was seeing. Like, the way it was done, but it's... Watching it a second, I think the first time you see it, it's weird, right? Yeah. Because you've never seen her do anything. Well, it also looks weird, is I guess the thing. Well, the way they depict... she's floating through space. I think the way they depict space in Star Wars is entirely different to how it's depicted in Star Trek, in Guardians of the Galaxy. I think it's good to compare, because it seems like it's... Like, in Guardians of the Galaxy, when a character's out in space, they freeze over... Almost instantaneously. Well, she started to. I mean, she started to have that. She had a frost. Yeah. It wasn't like Instant. ice. Yeah, yeah. That's you true. know, so that's what I'm just trying to comment on. I wanted to cheer because mm-hmm. there was a lot of cheering in our viewer experience. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I was overcome with so much relief and joy. Like I couldn't. Yeah. If I was going to cheer, it was going to sound like yes. So it was good that I kept quiet. But that was really a great moment for me and. 
I like that Ray and Ben had one on one time <laughs> to sort of <laughs> to discover yeah, each other. Okay. It's good that she isn't hardened right. entirely. She she kind of was, but I love how when she realized there was no, she can't focus on helping him anymore, and you know Snoke's already dead, and they're using he's obviously using the Force to connect with her when she's escaping on the Millennium Falcon. Love that she closes the door on him. She's like, oh, I'm, okay, I'm done. yeah, yeah. I have to move on now. Yeah. I thought that was that was fantastic. You know, sometimes you just have to walk away from toxic people. Yeah. So I liked I like how there's elements of our humanity reflected sci- uh, in a fantasy way like yeah. that. I love that. Yeah. Very cool. Well, we could talk for hours about this movie, but we really shouldn't. We really need to move on. That's our review of Star Wars The Last Jedi. What did you think of the film? Do you agree or disagree with our take? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Well, Shanna, one movie that never won a Golden Globe was any of the Star Wars films, let alone the original oh, Star that's Wars so sad. films. Is this one nominated? No. Oh, that's really depressing. But let's learn about our favorite Golden Globe winners with film faves. Film phase is when we count down our respective list of 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. Usually we're marching back through time, uh, but occasionally we stop or pause to talk about a particular theme relevant to the episode. This is the second episode in a row where we have paused away from going back in time and talking about a theme. Now... We're talking about 74 years of Golden Globes, right? So, being as how in practically every single Golden Globes there's been at least two winners, we're talking over 150 movies to choose from, just from the best drama, best musical comedy categories, right? So, we decided to make it easy on ourselves and just stop with those categories and not include all the other nominations that films could have gotten. So, that's one way to start. But, Shanna, how far back did you end up going with your list of your favorite Golden Globe winners? So, I go as far back as the 1950s. I don't really know any of the films prior to Sunset Boulevard. Which really is just only seven years worth of Globes Mm -hmm. at that point, right? For my part, I did consider films from almost every single decade mm-hmm. of the Golden Globe's existence, except not the 60s. For whatever reason, no movies from the 60s ended up on my original list or, or was um, on my final list. But I did. you did go back further than me in terms of what ended up on your list. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it was the 70s is where I ended up stopping. Ah. And... Uh, for my part, my list includes, in terms of the most movies uh, per decade, the most are from the 90s. I have four from the 90s and three from the last decade. And then I think the 70s and this decade are tied with two of each. But tell, tell me more about your list and what your number 12 is. So my list-making process, I wanted to do something a little different this time. And because it's going through more than 70 years worth of films, I figured I would just go 
as chronologically accurate as I could. Starting with my number 12 being Sunset Boulevard. And this film was, you know, something that Jeff showed me in our first few months together as a couple, uh, pre-engagement. And Sunset Boulevard is available to stream on Netflix, and I highly recommend people check it out. To me, one of my interpretations I got from this film was a first sort of <laughs> twisted appreciation of Hollywood, like what it can do to a person and how people do really fall in love with movie culture. That is one of the greatest movies about movies and one of the greatest American films. I'm ready for my close-up. Yeah, one of the most famous quotes as well. So that is an excellent uh, pick. So I'm glad that ended up on your list. For my part, I will say that, you know, usually we try to bring up when a movie is available to stream on certain services. And unfortunately, as is often the case, in my list there's only two movies that were available to stream. But guess what? Two of... I have five. <laughs> oh, well, good for you. Uh, two of my movies actually won all the uh, awards they were nominated for in the oh, Golden cool. Globes, too. But not my first one. My first one, uh, number 12, is Lost in Translation from 2003, mm. written and directed by Sofia Coppola. I believe I've talked about this film a couple times before. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite Sofia Coppola film, I believe, and probably still one of my favorite Scarlett Johansson performances. Scarlett Johansson stars as a wife who is staying in Japan while her husband does some celebrity photography. Well, it looks like she's a new wife. Yeah, they're yeah. fairly new. I think that's important to But she's still very lonely, and he's not the most attentive husband. And she befriends Bill Murray, who's an actor who's doing, you know, he's kind of getting by whatever he can. He's doing a stint of, of ads for a Japanese whiskey company. And they befriend <laughs> each other as two lonely people, you know. Who, he's also married, and but there's definitely a strained relationship there as well. It's a beautiful film. It's beautifully shot film. Uh, it's just a wonderful and just um, there's something very tender about the script in a way but not overly sentimental either one of the aughts best films and i mean uh, obviously it, it won for best comedy that year and and got a couple other awards as well but yeah lost in translation line number 12 the comedy category is very concerning to me actually <laughs> we've talked about a few comedy films and i'm like i don't feel like that's a comedy. <laughs> it can be a bit sketchy at yeah. times, yeah. It's like, well, in the studios, yeah, sometimes they do position a movie in comedy because they think it act, it's for political reasons, like it'll win better than if it was in drama. It's absurd. And usually it's against what the creators would have done, too. Right. My number 11 is available to stream on Amazon, and it is Some Like It Hot. And when Jeff told me about this film... And we started watching it. It was one of those films where I was like, oh, I'm going to hate this. It's, oh, my God, what are these people doing? Oh, Marilyn Monroe. I don't know how I feel about her. I kind of have this weird relationship with her where I feel like there's just, anytime there's too much public opinion about something or someone, I feel like that's 
gonna not be good for me to interact with because I don't know if I'm gonna have my own opinion or not but I really liked her in this film and I loved the story I thought it was hilarious and one line from this film is no one's perfect yeah that's the last line of the movie which context is everything and it's it's one that you don't want ruined for you and that film is from 1959 and that is Considered widely the greatest comedy of all time. Now that's a comedy. It is a comedy. <laughs> There's sure. no confusion there. It is straight up comedy. Absolutely. And it's like classic comedy. I really yeah. like it. It's very, it's very cute comedy. And it might be my favorite Billy Wilder film and Jack Lemmon, uh, possibly. <laughs> that's an awesome pick. I'm glad you had that. Uh, for me, my number 11 is Shakespeare in Love from 1998. Of course. Now... To an extent, there's a little bit of controversy about this film because of Harvey Weinstein famously rumored strongly to have paid his way. Oh, to I thought this. you were going to deny something else. No. <laughs> we were going to have a problem. Pa- Moving on. Paid his way to, to this movie's award success. Right? Mm. So there's that question of does this movie deserve it or whatever, particularly the Best Picture Oscar. However, in the case of the Golden Globe comedy that it won, I think this movie actually was well-deserving. I've seen the film in uh, recent years. We watched it this year. Yeah, and it it holds up. It holds up um, as a a really well-crafted comedy. And it's amazing how many people are in this damn movie that, you know, I don't necessarily, if they were necessarily known people at the time or well-known or that much known, but, I mean, you get Ben Affleck, who the previous year had won an Oscar for writing a script. You know, he plays a buffoon of Oh, that's right. He's quite, this. he's quite fun. It's yeah. kind of like making fun of, you know, when an actor kind of has these fumble moments. Well, you know, the actor, the egotistic actor. He's, yeah. he's great. Jeffrey Rush is in it. Joseph Fiennes, of course, as, as Shakespeare. Gwyneth Paltrow. Judy Dench, who won an Oscar for for a three-minute performance. It's ridiculous. But she's she obviously great deserved it. it for something that previously happened, and they just gave it to her for this. Oh, she actually wasn't... Because I love that woman. Yeah, she's great. And, and I mean, yeah. Anyway, fantastic and hilarious and brilliantly written comedy... Very a clever. A fiction comedy. It's not non-fiction. Well, they, it's... They kind no, of it's, make it's, their own it's, story. Yeah, it's... Well, it's like fan fiction. Histor- historical fiction. Fan fiction. Right? I enjoy it quite a bit. It's my number 11. My number 10 is not available to stream, and quite frankly, if you don't own this film, I don't know who the hell you are, but it's The Sound of Music. This film has a very special place in my heart. It's one of my ultimate favorite musicals. It might be difficult for me to decide between this one and Singing in the Rain. Those are kind of my two favorite. Mm. It stars Julie Andrews. And she, it's this, for those of you who don't know, it's a story about a nun who, you know, she's like a square peg trying to fit into a circular hole. It's just, it's not working out for her. Uh, she wants to be free. She loves God, but that, that's not her entire being in life. Which, you know, if you're a nun, that, that kind of is why you're a nun. So, I love the songs in this film. You've got Do Re Mi, you've got, you've got Edelweiss, which just brings tears to your eyes, especially once you realize what it's about. Mm. When you're a nanny and you're getting to know your charges, 
listening to the soundtrack is a very good idea mm. to kind of bond with them. And I used to play this musical soundtrack uh, while my charges were bathing. So it was always a really fun time. <laughs> and they'd be splashing water while we were singing the songs. So I, I, I love that film. Yeah, it's a great film. One of the greatest musicals of all time from 1965. Probably, uh, if it weren't for Mary Poppins, it would be Julie Andrews' best movie, in my opinion. But I, a lot of people would say I'm wrong. At any rate, mm. my number 10 film is from 1975. It is the first film on my list to win all of the awards it was nominated for by the Golden Globes. It is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, starring... Jack Nicholson, and Lois Fletcher. And Eagle Eyes will catch Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd in this film as well. This film is brilliant. It is a great great adaptation of a brilliant book. It, is, uh, it has its differences, of course, because it follows a different character than the book does. But it's... A lot of people think The Shining is Jack Nicholson's best performance. I think that this one's better. I, I love him as J.P. McMurphy, and I think he is very much, you know, he's a, he's a radical who is constantly being beaten down by the system and being beaten down by the man, and it's, it's a, he's a great metaphor one of the greatest characters in film, one of the most beautiful stories, and one of the most painful endings I've ever seen. But it is one of my favorite films of a great decade of film. That is not in the comedy section. <laughs> no, so I, I imagine... Please tell me they didn't do that. I, I imagine it won for best drama. Uh, I would have to look that up, though. Uh, my next one skips a few years, uh, not as much as Some Like It Hot versus The Sound of Music. And it is Beauty and the Beast, the animated version, of course. It That's was a one lot of, of the... years compared yeah. to um, <laughs> Sound of Music and well, Some Like, like It Hot. <laughs> Beauty and the Beast, I've spoken about this several times. I don't think I can say anything else about it. Really fantastic music. I have a one-year-old charge at the moment. And we listen to Be Our Guest. And every time I tell him we're going to listen to music, I don't say, do you want some music? I say, music! Like Cogsworth from Beauty and the Beast. Because there's just little things from this film that are just, they really make life magical. Indeed. My number nine is from the 80s. It's my only pick from the 80s. It is E.T. Extraterrestrial by Steven Spielberg. Probably one of the greatest family movies, one of the greatest sci-fi films, and one of the greatest like films about childhood and childhood friendship ever made. This is a movie that is just absolutely magical. It's incredibly charming. It is incredibly touching. The last three to five minutes will make you go through an entire box of Kleenex. And part of that is due... Ah, it's like up. <laughs> sort of. And part of that is due to John Williams' score, which is extraordinary. It's one of the best scores ever made. 
And I love uh, this film. It is available on Netflix to oh. stream. So check it out with your kids if you haven't introduced them to it yet. Shanna, what's your number nine? Mrs. Doubtfire. Hello! <laughs> this is a whole lot of fun as a kid to watch. And I love anyone who's going to throw an orange at Pierce Brosnan's head. That was That's always so fun. <laughs> that's probably my favorite part. It's interesting how sometimes as a parent, you have to dress as someone completely different to yourself in order to encompass the ability to discipline and carry through with parenting skills. That's just a little observation. I've spoken about this film before. It uh, stars Robin Williams and Sally Field and then some Pierce Brosnan. And I just, I love this film. There's things that you will enjoy about this film that'll go over your head as a kid. And then there's things you'll get the whole picture when you're older. Mm. Things that you never thought were a thing are a thing. So uh, that is my number nine. My number eight is Fiddler on the Roof from 1971. I think we talked about this not too long ago. I think it was another pick of mine. It's one of my favorite musicals. Uh, for sure, and Tevia is, yeah, Tevia is probably one of my favorite characters from the 70s, and I don't think anybody can beat Topol, I believe the actor's name was. I don't think anybody can beat his performance, that character. I don't know. My brother was pretty good as him. Well, I... The dance performance that we had when we were younger. (laughs) I'm sure he was great but this is the definitive Fiddler on the Roof for me, directed by Norman Jewison. And it's a movie about tradition. It's a movie about letting things go. It's about, <laughs> it's about yeah. you know, parenthood in a way. Mm-hmm. And the pain of seeing your children grow up. Parenthood is all about learning to let go. <laughs> well, and, and with it, the pain of change, too. There's, mm. uh, you know, that's a big overall theme in the film and it's it's great it it's uh definitely deserving of its win of best musical of its year and i think it's one of the last great musicals for for several years after my number eight is lion king you know it's it looks like i've got a lot of soundtrack favorites in here the lion king to me is very dear and near to my heart i've spoken about it before the color, the just gorgeousness of this film, the fact that it happens in Africa, probably Kenya, I would assume. The characters are amazing. They, you know, there's a lot of truth to them in an African traditional sense. And yeah, there's not really much else I can say about that one. A correction, that is your number seven. And uh, yes. my number seven is Beauty and the Beast. Nice. Which... I think it's the first animated film to win mm-hmm. a Golden Globe for Best Musical or Comedy. Yes, or... and Lion King was second. Ah, mm-hmm. very cool. For me, I mean, I, I almost left this movie off the list, but there was no other movie that I could substitute it for. And the reason... It was meant to be. Well, the reason for it is I keep coming back to the opening number, Bell. That is one of the greatest introductions in any animated film in ever. 
and one of the greatest introductions of any lead character ever. I, I absolutely love it. I think that is probably the high point, honestly, of the film. A lot of people would point to Be Our Guest or, oh, and Gaston. or Beauty Such and the Beast. Well, more so Beauty and the Beast, the title song, or Be Our Guest as the high points. But it is one of the greatest I Want songs in the Disney canon. Like, hands down, it probably is, might be my number one I Want song ever. It's gorgeous. It's stirring. It's uh, it, it's not a perfect movie. There's some flaws that all is really the reason why I almost left it off. But it's certainly better than this year's live action attempt, which I found to be quite mediocre. It was very disappointing. Beautiful, but quite mediocre. But yeah, so it is my number seven favorite Golden Globe winner. Well, we're halfway through our list, Shanna. What was your number six? American Beauty. Is my number six. Uh, again, unfortunately, this isn't available to stream. I don't recommend buying it because it might not be everybody's cup of tea. Yeah. It deals with a lot of themes. You know, it is, you know, after now the Me Too culture, the Me Too hashtag. We've got the situation with Kevin Spacey. So depending mm. on your sensitivity for my sensitive people out there, just, you know, be aware of that. Yeah. However, the story is very interesting and there's a lot to relate to there's a lot to think about there's a lot to question deals with several different themes i don't want to give any of it away because it's really good to go in fresh just know the sensitivity thing over there and hopefully well i mean i think it's safe to say that it's about life and how you live your life you know and how and happiness and being happy with whatever you do. Search for happiness. Yeah, I think it's safe to say say those things. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, you're right. It's up to each person about whether how well it holds up. But also, there's a uh, there's some issues these days that might turn some people off right now, particularly since Kevin Spacey's the lead character in it, and his lust for a younger woman in it uh, being a a major role. Or Maybe a part trigger. Of the story. Yeah, that's interesting. That that um, was on your list. I didn't expect that. Very cool. My number six is the Social Network, which came out in twenty ten, and I have claimed it is the best, if not one of the best and most significant films of this century. If you want more information on that, go listen to our previous episode of Film Faves twenty ten. So I won't rehash that. I couldn't leave this off, and one of the, similar in a weird way, to Beauty and the Beast, one of the mm. first things that came to my mind about this movie and con- its consideration for this list was its opening number, in a way. And in this con- in this case, I mean the score. With Mark Zuckerberg, played by Jesse Eisenberg, going for a run back to his dorm after, I believe having just been dumped by his girlfriend when he says some things that's completely insensitive and um, unsupportive, and he's completely unaware that what he's saying is hurtful. But that score by Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor is so good. It's so It sets a mood. It sets the tone for the, the film. There's an intelligence to that score. Uh, it's just, it's great. And it's... The rest of the film is fantastic. It's one of David Fincher's best films, hands down. And that is my number six. 
My number five is Toy Story 2. Mm. This is another animated film that won. I believe it's the third animated film that won. It's funny, all the animated, all the animateds are on my list. And from <laughs> the 90s, where, too. Yeah, that's where my priorities are. So it was kind of when I was growing up at this point, anytime Disney or... I always saw Pixar as Disney in the beginning. I didn't realize they were a different entity. Mm. But anytime a sequel came, it was very hit or miss. Most of the time it was miss. In general, you mean? Yeah, in general, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. But with Toy Story 2, it was kind of, it sparked a new hope uh. that <laughs> sequels were going to be good. Or could be great. Good. Yeah. yeah, there was this possibility. It wasn't just trashy filler. Mm-hmm. It, it really wasn't. And in their own way, kind of like what <laughs> Star Wars did, they started expanding their world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now that we've gotten the third one, now that we've had years to think about the different Pixar films, you know, you've got these theories that go around that the doll, Jesse, who was introduced in this, uh, more of Woody's world, essentially, uh, used to belong to Andy's mother. And I just think it's oh, really... Yeah. It's really interesting how Pixar builds their worlds and you kind of have to do some digging and you kind of have to theorize and kind of have to check with Pixar if this is really what it is. But I love that they took sequels to that level. Sometimes they mess it up, but it's okay, we're human. I highly recommend Toy Story 2. There is a song that will make you bawl like a baby, but you know if Pixar yeah. doesn't make you cry at some point, then they're not doing their job. Yeah, uh, this was definitely one of the first steps forward in that sense. That song by Sarah McLachlan, and oh. it set the bar. And I think it, I think they've raised the bar since. Mm-hmm. You know, but that that is a great pick, absolutely, and and was a consideration for my list as well. So mm-hmm. very cool. My number four is no, my number five. Sorry, is last year's La La Land, which is mm-hmm. my other film that a is also available to stream. This is on HBO Go. And B also won all the awards that it was nominated for. If you recall, <laughs> it was nominated for a record seven awards and won a record seven awards uh, for the Golden Globes. Oh, interesting. I'm yeah. just making connections with that year. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And I really enjoy this movie. The music is great. It's a, it's a, Incredible sophomore effort. I believe it's a sophomore effort from the director of Whiplash. I mm. don't think, but I could be wrong, that he had a film before Whiplash. But it's uh, really well directed. The The song and dance sequences just seem so effortless and are catchy and memorable. And Emma Stone is... Is I Emma think, Stone. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think she's... Proving herself to be one of the greatest actresses of her generation. And Ryan Gosling, you know, him too. But for whatever reason, he's just a step behind her in his performance. And maybe it's because the the story focuses more on Emma Stone's character. And so she has more time to flourish than he does. But um, he's no slouch in this film. By any means, but it's 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 fun. It's beautiful. It's it's touching. It's much more than just a song and dance film. It's a love for film. It's a love for yeah. music and film. Yeah, absolutely. It's a love for for love. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All the thing, and, and it's uh my number five. 
My number four is Moulin Rouge. This is a 2001 film. It's another one of my favorite soundtracks. <laughs> it's really funny how that's, that's how this has been formed too. I love this film. I, I think it came out when I was like 15 or 16 or something, somewhere around that age group. And it's, it's not the kind of love to strive for huh. when, you, when you're that age, even though you think it could be a good idea. But I, you know, just what a beautiful film, the colors, the, the theatrics of it. What, what a beautiful story. And such a great line of uh, be love, to love and be loved in return. It's very hard to be loved sometimes. Mm. It's a real problem. It's a challenge sometimes for people, uh, even myself. That is my number four. What is yours? Mrs. Doubtfire. Which I love it. is directed by Christopher Columbus, or Chris Columbus, who uh, also did Home Alone, mm-hmm. mentioned in our previous episode, and would, uh, would go on to do a couple Harry Potter movies. God, I miss films um, like that. Yeah, and I think his, his career otherwise is fairly spotty, but those are definitely his highlights. Um, this is definitely his best film. Off the top of my head, I think it's even better than the Harry Potter films, as much as I love the... Which one did he do? Chamber of Secrets. He did the uh, first okay. two. The All first right. two. But it's also one of Robin Williams' best films. I won't go so far as to say his absolute best, but it's definitely in the conversation of the top five. And it's, it's not just because... This movie has all the slapstick of this father jumping through hoops trying to protect his identity and be, you know, a guy dressed up as an old woman and all this sort of stuff. No, it's also because it has something to say at that time about divorce. Mm -hmm. And it's something that even today is very touching. The final monologue in the film, delivered by Mrs. Doubtfire is one of the most touching and... uh, It's one of the most touching final moments in any of the comedies in all of the 90s, for sure. I mean, let alone maybe any film in in the 90s. Um, It it still makes me cry sometimes when I get caught up in the story and I'm not half paying attention. Um, It's just really beautiful. And, of course, Robin Williams is a legend that is missed, and this is... One of the go-to movies, if you're ever introducing your kids to Robin Williams, you must show them Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, you could start off with Aladdin. Sure. Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. I know, that's what I would do. Yeah, and, and, and actually, incidentally, he actually Aladdin came out the year before Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> See, so it's a good, it's a good way. <laughs> okay, my number three is The Hours. Um, oh, no kidding. Yeah, one of the reasons is the soundtrack is by Philip Glass. Oh yeah, the score. By Philip Glass. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I quite enjoy him, and you know, it just it makes the movie feel so so strange. I don't really have a good description for it. It is available on Hulu. This is a film about three women, and they're each going through something very interesting, and they're they're trying to break through certain barriers they've created for themselves something that all women and probably men too can relate to now what's interesting about this film is that between these three women it's all taking place in different times 
So it can be a little confusing and it can be a little woodshock could learn something from the hours. <laughs> you can still be a little trippy, a little weird, but still have a good story. Mm. Um, it, it does star Nicole Kimmon, Meryl Streep, Julianne Moore, and it even has Ed Harris. Yeah, I remember people like making way more big of a deal than they really needed to about Nicole Kidman having a prosthetic nose Stop. for for <laughs> playing Virginia Woolf, I believe, mm-hmm. the author of the the book that is the the anchor of the film, and I think she won an award for that movie, uh, the Golden Globe for that movie too. But yeah, like, and she wasn't bad, but you know, there's more to her than just the nose for crying out loud. I, I, you know what? I really don't think that anybody complained about Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt having a whole prosthetic, whatever he needed to look like Bruce Willis and Looper. I will say so, people did comment on that. But, but they did? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, please, but, everybody fuck off. <laughs> um, Such a stupid thing to get upset about. Yeah. Well, anyway, my number three is The Lion King. My favorite Disney film of the 90s. And... Maybe any era. I'm not sure. Man, apparently it's all about the openings uh, for me because this is another example of the opening number being just mm. absolutely stirring. Uh, I mean, it, it more than most Disney films, actually. I think they used the opening sequence, the opening title sequence, or the, the pre-title sequence as the teaser for the film. Oh, they did? I believe so. And when you watch it in context, it's just like just this amazing epic like opening mm. where you know, like it ends with that downbeat and, and with that downbeat you see the title, the title screen. Mm. And it's just I mean like the theater just goes silent, you know? Um Did you get to watch that in the theater? I'm almost positive that I did. I mean, back then Disney movies were an event. You went and mm. saw every movie every year when they came out. And I think Lion King was the peak of that era uh, for Disney. I think they took a sharp fall afterwards. And honestly, it's really hard to live up to that bar that Lion King set. It's got a great villain song. It's got a lot of great songs. You know, Elton John did a great job in it. Phil Collins would try to recapture what Elton John captured uh, with, with Tarzan and just... Not quite get there, you I, know? I thought it was pretty close, though. It was good, but, I mean, come on. It's no circle of life. There's no circle mm-hmm. of life. There's no, um, I can't wait to be keen. There's no, um, can you feel the love tonight? There's just, that, that, that film is peak Disney. And it is probably, in the history of Disney, top ten Disney. Mm, I agree. You really hit on something there. Awesome. Yeah. I can feel the water splashing on me. When when I watch that opening scene. What's your second favorite Golden Globe winner? It's really funny. It's I think it's because of the timeline thing. It's Boyhood. Really? Yeah. And remember, my list is based on, you know, going back to currently. Mm-hmm. So I love Patricia Arquette. And she, I think she got her Oscar for this one. She is one of my favorite actresses. And I always feel like she doesn't always get the best parts. This film is, of course, available to stream on Netflix. This is about a boy, Mason, through a journey of 12 years of filming. What a fantastic piece of artwork. They 
filmed a little bit of the story every year for 12 years. So you actually see this actor growing up and you see little elements of uh, what was going on during that year, whether it's a song or a piece of news or a product. And some people think it's too on the nose, but I mean, come on, if you did a time travel yeah, thing, it's, it's, not, it's, it's a it's stupid nitpick thing. It's, yeah. This isn't Back to the Future where no. it's front and center. No, and it's, it's all beautiful because, you know, if you think about a particular year in your life, you try to think of, you know, what was popular back then, what influenced you then, what, was, what were people doing with their hair, with their fashion. I feel like, you know, all those things are touched on, of course, with this film, but the most important thing is what it's like growing up and what things influence you, what hurts you, what makes you love, uh, what makes you grow up. Yeah, that's a great film. I think it's actually still underrated. My uh, second favorite Golden Globe winner is Moulin Rouge. Yes, it's one of my favorite musicals of all time. One of these days we'll do a musicals list. I don't think we have yet. I remember when we first watched this. My I watched this with my parents. My dad and I instantly knew we were watching something special within the first. Opening oh. number, whatever it was, when they first go when it first <laughs> goes into the Moulin Rouge and you have mm-hmm. that huge medley, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, there's it was just like, wow, what are we watching? You know, just the way Boz Lerman has this. You know, it's it's um kinetic and it's got an energy to it without being over the top and 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 ridiculous, um in a, in a bad way, but it's just like it's electric. It's absolutely electric, and I mm. I it just fell in love instantly with the songs in this film. I'm not sure. I'm trying to think if there's a musical sense that I think is better or love more. Well, there's and, La La Land. Well, and, and yet La La Land is pretty far down the list mm, comparatively. That's true. Right? So, and, and, and that is a really good movie, but I really love Moulin Rouge and how it's crafted and how it weaves this contemporary music in and the way it handles and rearranges the contemporary music. Uh, it took me a while to figure that out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because I was young and stupid. Uh, so. <laughs> well, you're 14-ish. So 15. So it's, it's, it's magnificent. I love it, love it, love it. Absolutely. <laughs> and it might be the last Nicole Kidman performance that I actually loved and totally bought into. I might be wrong, but I think that might be the case. Well, I, think, I think you need to watch her, her new TV show. Yeah, I haven't seen Big Little Lies. Yeah. So my number one, it's really funny because we just talked about boyhood. My number one is Moonlight, which, and I think it's funny because it also is a film that kind of takes a look at a, a young boy's life. Well, well, you're talking about through time, right? Through time, yeah. There's yeah, okay. three, they, they describe it as three defining chapters in the life of yeah. Sharon. And it is. And how interesting is it that... That is what I'm drawn to is, you know, how is your story developing? And this is available to stream on Prime. If you haven't had a chance to watch this, mm-hmm. it's eye-opening. It's not something that we see every day. It, yeah. it feels original. It yeah. has not been done before. But I wasn't sure what I was going to be watching, and I felt mm-hmm. like it was going to be hard for me to get through. It's beautiful. The score is amazing. Performances are just... I, I cried when... Marshala Ali got his Oscar because mm. I was so 
proud of him. I was so happy mm. for him. So you've got him, you've got, you've got Trevant Rhodes, you've got Ashton Sanders, you've got Naomi Harris, uh, just to name a few. Uh, you've also got Janelle Monet, and everybody in this film is top-notch performance, top-notch cinematography. This is um, a more gritty cinematography. If you were wanting to see a difference between like glossy versus gritty, I think it's great for visual artists to check out. Yeah, that is a, a hands down a great film and well-deserving of its awards. Uh, my favorite Golden Globe winner is Almost Famous from the year 2000. This is your favorite film like of all time. It's in the Maybe. top Maybe, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's... It spoke to me at a time uh, when I was heavy into rock music and the history of rock music. It's by Cameron Crowe, and it's kind of like Lady Bird in the sense that it's semi-autobiographical. Mm. You know, it's it's definitely inspired by an experience he had growing up. Cool and double feature. I, I forget. Francis McDormand stars as, his, as the mom in this film. That's awesome. And I remember <laughs> loving her in... In the film, Zoe Deschanel, this was my first exposure to Zoe Deschanel. I forget about that. Mm. But I remember seeing, like, who's that sister? And and then seeing her in All the Real Girls and Elf later on. But every aspect of this film I love. It's, it's funny. I love its themes. I love the performances. I love the music. Music, uh, I think, created by Nancy Wilson of Heart. And, of course, uh, cool. Cameron Crowe's wife. Philip Seymour Hoffman, every, everything about this movie is, is great. I love it. I have the, what is it called? There's a special edition version. I want to say it's like the untitled version or something. It's it's really, really cool. I remember back in the day, the DVD was like a journal or something. It folded out in a certain way. It was brown. Oh, it must have been really It was really, really, really cool. It, it came with Sweetwater's. Uh, music. Anyway, yeah, I love Almost Famous. It's still my favorite Cameron Crowe film. Uh, as much as I love Jerry Maguire and a couple of his other movies, I don't think he quite reached Almost Famous level again or since, unfortunately. But yeah, it's a great film and my favorite. What are your favorite Golden Globe winning movies? Let us know at the Gibson Review at Gmail. Dot com. That is going to do it for this monster episode of The Movie Lovers. Well, most importantly, happy winter solstice, mm. Yule, and Merry Christmas, and happy holidays, happy Hanukkah. Who else have we got? <laughs> <laughs> yes, by, this, by the time you're listening to this, Christmas will have just passed, so we hope you had a great holiday weekend. I hope you had a ton of cookies, because you guys do that really well here in America. And looking forward, we hope you have a great New Year's holiday weekend as well. Shanna, before we continue looking forward, why don't you let them know where they can find you on the internet? So I love it when people are with me on Instagram. You can find me at Woman's Journey to Empowerment. That's the singular woman, so a woman. And that's got underscores between the words. That's on Instagram. And you can also find me at shannapaxton.com. Very cool. You can find me at thegibsonreview.com, where soon you will also find my best of the year annual list. Oh, it's um, going to be fun. Feel free to check out the previous year's posts in anticipation of this year's posts. 
And as well as other episodes and other reviews on there, go to the Facebook page, The Gibson Review, to find mini reviews, third-party links, other episode links, all that sort of stuff. Of course, leave a review on iTunes for us. We would really love those reviews. Constructive, positive, negative, somewhere in the middle, what have you. We appreciate that. And you can find me on Flickchart at the Gibson 99 Now, the next episode... It will be released on the 9th of January, and it will be time for us to take a look at the year 2017. We have a lot to try to cram in between now and then, um, as, first of all, Hollywood is cramming a lot of movies in during the Christmas weekend. We still have Molly's Game to see, A Phantom Thread, Darkest Hour, A Ghost Story you wanted uh, to yes, see. Yes, that one. Yes, uh, I'm looking at the, the post we have to try to see that. The Shape of Water. You know, it's all going to depend on... Call Me By Your Name. It's all going to depend on what movies actually make it to our area and uh, what we can fit into our time. But stay tuned. That episode will be our recap of the year 2017. And film faves will be favorite 2017 movies. Oh, yay. So, that's... I didn't know that. It's <laughs> <laughs> always exciting to hear... What the next episode will be at the end of the recording. And that'll take a lot less research for you. So that'll be oh, <laughs> kind of be easy. great. <laughs> yeah, so that'll be the next episode of The Movie Lovers. Until then, have a great holiday weekend. This is Jeff and Shanna. Saying goodbye and, and keep loving the movies. I got your line. <laughs> Happy New Year. Rest assured, we loved Star Trek Last Jedi. What are your thoughts? Wait, did you just say Star Trek The Last Jedi? <laughs> That's our review. Look at that.